We're gonna get started here. I'm Thank y'all so much for coming. My name is Justin here. I'm one of the obviously one of the clergy here. <laughs> one of the two clergy here in yeah. Henry's on the market, probably. This is Brian McGreevy. We're both glad that you are here tonight. Um, we got a great group again. Um, a little smaller group. This is this is wonderful. But quality. It's I can tell it's quality that's here. Yeah, the cream is, is risen. Um, Anyways, if you're new, we're so glad that you are here. Uh, the, the way this works is that he, uh, Brian and I basically have a conversation planned out over a given topic each week. That tonight we're going to talk about meaning, purpose, and vocation. And at uh, any point throughout the evening, feel free to get another drink. Uh, there's apps uh, at various places around the room. Um, and you'll need, hopefully you'll have one of these. I kind of put them on seats or on uh, tables, that sort of thing. You can text in any question. And after we talk for 15, 20 minutes, something like that, we will um, have Colton go through all the anonymous questions, uh, which is pretty sweet, and, and we'll kind of keep going there. And actually, we didn't know this, but there's a feature in, as you text in, you can see other people's questions. It's still, you can't see who's doing it, but you can go ahead and like, like certain questions. So if you're like, oh, that's a really good question, go ahead, like that, and it'll help us answer the ones that seem to be more uh, the, the, the questions that everybody are asking. So, anyways, what am I forgetting? I think that's about and it. And sometimes it is going to sound like we are shouting at you, and other times you may be able to hear us <laughs> the at a normal volume because we have really powerful air conditioning in here, which in Charleston uh, at the end of June is a really good thing. Uh, but it just means that we have to be mic'd to get over it. So, uh, if we're shouting in your ear too much, wave your hands and Crystal turn us down. Absolutely. Oh, and before I forget, on the bottom of this, so I know there are like a lot of young folks here, so Facebook's probably like really outdated. We have a little Facebook group uh, for this thing, but we, this is just our third time doing it. So um, if you want to join an email list, go ahead and you can scan that at the bottom, and you can stay up to date. We'll send out periodic emails uh, for what we're doing. So thrilled that we're here. Um, Meaning, purpose, and vocation. Yes. Uh, Brian, why? I mean, this has been fascinating because in the last two, we've talked about anxiety, we've talked about loneliness and friendship, and one of the things that's been coming up in each one of those has been career, vocation, that sort of thing. Why do you think that is so pressing today? Well, I think there are a lot of reasons that it's pressing today. I think one is that uh, for a lot of people in our culture, we've been conditioned to think that we're supposed to find our meaning and purpose in our jobs and a lot of people don't find that to be true they find that uh, as somebody said in our first session that their job sucks their soul every day and that um, it's not something that they find to be life-giving and so I think that there's there's kind of a mismatch of what people are expecting their jobs and career to do for them. And I think another aspect of that is that, uh, because I am significantly older than y'all, uh, one of the things I've seen over the course of my life is how uh, education and the uh, things that you study in school have really changed dramatically. And uh, you may not know, there's a survey of college freshmen that's been done every year for like 50 years. And if you went back on that survey to around 1960 and people were asked, what's your main goal of going to college? The vast majority of people would say something along the lines of learning to live a life of purpose and to make the world a better place. Um, that has shifted, in case you didn't know, um, so that the vast majority um, through the 90s and into the 2000s, although it started to go back a little bit in the other direction, um, the chief goal is to get a job where I can make a lot of money. And those of you, how many of you had to take general ed requirements in college? Yes, general ed requirements are the last vestige of what used to be the meaning and purpose part of college, um, where you answer that what is the meaning of life thing. Um, and there used to be courses in philosophy and all of that that you had to take. Um, it's pretty much been dumbed down, so now it's just something you have to get out of the way um, so you can get to the courses you actually like. But all of that um, means that we've had a deficit in being able to think about what does it mean to be a success or to 
live life well. And so we look at our jobs through a lens where there's more weight put on them than they can possibly sustain. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit throughout the week. I, I think that's absolutely true. I feel so many people also are, um, I've dealt with young adults in college, you know, college students for a while now, and one of the things I keep hearing is that they, they just have no idea what they're supposed to do. And so I think on some sense, like you're saying, it's hoping that this is one of the things that will, that will actually satisfy what they're looking for. Um, and yet, I see on the other side that there's already like um, a number of things that they've written off that they would not do. Um, and so I think, I, I told you, we both undervalue and overvalue work uh, in certain ways that are, that are distinct. So um, meaning, purpose, and vocation, how, how do those go together, if at all? What is, first of all, what is vocation? That's a fancy word. Well, that's a great question. Um, any of you that uh, took Latin uh, will know that vocation has to do with the idea of call. Um, even if you took French, you know the word voix for your voice. Um, it was calling, vocation is calling, and the classical understanding of that was that you were called to a profession, it was part of who God made you to be, that you were called to certain things, and that different people were called to different uh, types of work, and they were all um, noble and meaningful, and that part of your task in growing into adulthood was to figure out what your calling was, and that calling was something that was um, something that was God's call on your life, partially by how he created you, what you're passionate about, what you're good at, those kinds of things, but also the needs of the world that are before you. So from a Christian perspective, um, how do vocation and purpose, would you say, go together? Um, if, if vocation is what you're called to do, uh, what are we as human beings called to do? <laughs> is there a way to even be that general? Well, uh, if you want to live into our title of theology on tap, um, some theologians would say there's a theologian um, named Irenaeus, uh, who was Bishop of Lyon, who famously said, the glory of God is man fully alive, or could equally be the glory of God is woman fully alive. Somebody fully embracing all of who they are and who they've been created to be. Um, the Westminster Catechism says that the purpose of life um, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So um, that from a Christian standpoint, that's, that's the purpose of life, that we are created to be in relationship with our maker. Um, there's a great Mumford song about that that I want to quote in. Detail. Um, you can ask me later if you want to know. Uh, but this this whole idea that we are we are made for something, and that a job is not just something to pay the bills, but we are we are made for something, and that the job can be part of that. It may be that your meaning and purpose gets expressed more outside your job than inside your job, um, but it really can go either way. Yeah. For me, what I would add to that, I think um, if you look at the first two chapters of Genesis, right in the beginning of the Bible, um, God creates man, and he calls him to be an image bearer, uh, which is who he is to be, and tied with that is he gives him something to actually do, which is, uh, theologians call the cultural mandate, so to go be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, subdue the earth, that sort of thing. And uh, to tend the garden. And to tend the garden, exactly. Um, which is before the fall. Some people think work is a curse. Um, and that that was like the result of the fall of man that now we have to work. But actually work is before the fall, that tending the garden is good work. It's part of what we were created for. Yeah. And that's one of the things that separates Christianity in many ways from a lot of the other, I mean, we can talk about ancient views of work and, and what does it mean to be human, as well as modern understandings of, of being, um, of working and being human. I think you think about the Greeks, uh, they considered the, the body was was bad. All material things were bad. So the jobs that you really wanted were the things that dealt with just your mind, pretty much. Um, or going back to the ancient Near East, some of the creation myths uh, that Genesis 1 and 2 would have been uh, writing against the backdrop of, the work was something that the gods didn't want to do, so they made little slavish human beings to go and do that. And what's radical about Christianity is that God himself actually 
works. We yes. see in the very first seven or six days, he, he works and takes a rest from his work, which we'll talk about next time. Um, but then part of being in, in God's image, part of bearing uh, what it means to be in, in his likeness, is to actually work as well. So it's a radical thing to, to start from the place that's saying work is fundamentally a good thing. Yes. And I think another aspect of that that comes from that, because we're made in the image of God, we are most fully human, living most fully into who we are made to be when we are creators, and that when we are what um, Tolkien and Lewis called sub-creators, um, because we are made in God's image, we also make things that we create, that we can, within the context of any kind of work, we can choose what our attitude is toward that work. We can choose about how we perform that work. We can imagine new ways of working and new things to do. And um, that is part of who we are as being made in the image of God. But God also rested on that seventh day, uh, which is something that's really important for us to remember. Yeah. I think, that, and by and large, I, so I, you know, looking at the ancient understandings of work, but also modern understandings that you have to, uh, work is one of the most common places that people try to extract value from it. Um, and I still think in some ways they, the modern times is very much like um, some of the ancient problems where they um, would basically say certain work is beneath them. Again, that we see God, this is a fascinating, I wanted to share this quote um, by Philip Jensen, he's a, minister. He says, if God came into the world, what would he be like? For the ancient Greeks, he might have been a philosopher king. The ancient Romans might have looked for a just and noble statesman. But how does God of the Hebrews come into the world? He comes in as a carpenter. And right there, it, it's showing that menial, uh, manual labor is not something beneath God, that he actually dignifies all sorts of work. And that's one of the things I love sharing with people who are frustrated with their job is that God cares about every single uh, kind of job and that we're meant to be um, working in such a way in every single vocation, every single sphere of life to bring glory to God. Um, Which brings me in mind of another great quotation. If you want to do some reading on theology of work, one of the very best people to read, and this might not be the first person that comes to mind, but Martin Luther King Jr., some of the best theology on work that you will find out there. And this is something King wrote uh, in one of his addresses. If a man or woman is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. And he's referencing um, Colossians 3, uh, which says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Uh, that reminds me of the other Martin Luther that I thought you were talking about. Uh, who, when They're different. They are different. I know, just a couple hundred years difference there. Um, but he said something similar, but uh, gave such glory to, uh, um, you know, changing a diaper even to the glory of God is something that he, he talked about. That there's no task that is really beneath any other. Which I think the church maybe has at times. Um, maybe given the impression that there's certain work that's really important to God and other work that's that's maybe not as important. Um, what would you say to somebody, so if we believe that every area of life is important and that there's a way to connect uh, what you do in your job, if you're a lawyer, if you're a doctor, if you're a, a painter, um, that there's a way to do that and connect it with your faith. Um, if somebody came into your office and was saying, I'm really struggling to see how this is of any value. How might you counsel them? Well, I think I would talk to them about a couple of things. I'd talk about what do they actually do on a day-to-day -day basis. I would talk about what the climate is like in their workplace and whether they feel like they are in a workplace where they are able to have some agency to be able to like be themselves. Um, 
we've talked about some of those kinds of questions and just listen to what their experience is like. But I think that one of the one of the questions that I would want to ask is how do you think about your job? And a lot of people, in my experience, when you ask them that question, what they will tell you about is where they think they're going to be in 10 years when they have gotten to what they think they're trying to get to. It's sort of like the job is a road to this destination. And that when they get to that destination, then they're going to be happy and they're going to have their meaningful and purposeful life. And right now, they just kind of have to gut it out to get there. And I would push back on that if I were talking to somebody and say, one of the things to understand, and I, I love the word pilgrimage, um, it's kind of a medieval world word, uh, but in a pilgrimage, you're going to a sacred destination. But the point of the pilgrimage is not so much just to get to the destination. The journey that you take to get to the destination is as important, if not more so, than the destination itself. So you've probably seen around a bumper sticker that says, don't postpone joy. And I think that is actually a really good bumper sticker because if your attitude towards your job is, it's just gonna be disconnected from my faith for now, it just has to be, because I just have to work really hard, and then when I get to this next stage, then I'm gonna be able to live life the way that I want. Um, I think that's a fundamental uh, shaky foundation to build your life on. So what would you say to that question? Well, I, I think that um, one of the things, you mentioned uh, a, a similar question is like, how do I know what I'm called to do? But if, if somebody is disgruntled in their job, if they're, they're kind of there, they're trying to connect their faith to their work, um, one of the things I would, I would try to say is um, that God is actually in control, and whether you realize it or not, he has you where you are for a reason. And so just to encourage people, I think that um, there's not a way that you can just like jump outside of God's purview. Like He actually has you there for a reason. I think just that, starting with that sometimes, can be really helpful um, for people. And it kind of goes in with you know, the street sweeper, that sort of thing. Uh, there's various ways to try and connect your faith with it. It's You can do it with excellence. Um, you can, I remember when I was working right out of uh, college, I, I thought it was really important to be a Christian in my workplace. I was an office manager at a, at a golf club. And so what I did was I just left my Bible out uh, in front so everybody would be there. I didn't actually do the menus well or anything I was supposed to do, uh, which made me realize, oh, maybe there's something more. Uh, if I just did my job well, uh, that might actually have a good um, witness, I think, to uh, to my coworkers. But uh, you know, recognizing that um, this is a, a part of the work that God's given me to do, and that um, work is of itself a good thing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I would try to, like you're saying, I think, um, try to figure out what exactly what the climate's like, what where they are, and then to think creatively with them. Uh, one of the the joys that I had in Clemson was um, I met this young lady who had gone on a mission trip. She wanted to be a lawyer uh, because she came, became convinced that the biggest change that she could make in life was to um, go to law school, go into like justice law where she could go internationally and, 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 and do some systemic change. But she really loved fashion. <laughs> and the whole time she said, but I, that just wouldn't actually do much for the kingdom of God. And I wanted to, to, to try, I tried, probably not very successfully, but to say, you know, there's um, there's a way to do fashion even for God's glory, that this is something, um, not just uh, an afterthought, but but creating beauty in the world is something that, that God cares about. So, so spheres of life, like communications or things like that, all of this tie into the larger story of God, and I would want to try and help people see that. Yeah. And I think part of that, too, is leaning. I would ask some questions about what do you feel like you're passionate about? Where do you find joy? Um, if you look back in the past five years, what are the times that you've been happiest? All of those kinds of things. And try to get a little bit of a sense of that. Because sometimes um, we can be trying to uh, fight against our design. So I remember when I was a freshman in college, I thought that I was going to be a concert pianist. And I was reasonably good at piano. I wasn't great, but I was reasonably good. And 
so I went off and I did that. And so I was at Duke and I was in this little um, underground practice room with the piano for six hours a day. And I started getting better at piano through that. But I also thought, I'm going to go out of my mind. Um, because as of anybody that knows me, I'm a fairly extreme extrovert. And having to be alone for six hours a day with a piano. Sounds um, amazing. <laughs> I'm an extreme introvert. So. Yeah. I, I just felt sorry for the first person I saw when I got out of the practice room. Like, wow. um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I enjoyed piano, but the way that God wired me, that was not going to be a good fit long term for a career. Uh, we, we don't have that much time. We've, we've already gone past 20 minutes. But um, one of the things I wanted to touch on was just the definition of success. You know, work is meant to be completed, or is it? I don't know. Like, um, what would you say about the understanding of what successful work is? Um, how do we define success? That's a really big question um, for two minutes. But I would say uh, part of it is that we, we need to understand that successful career and successful life don't equate with each other and we live in a culture that presses on us so much that success is monetary that that's like the only metric that matters and um, I would really encourage you to push back against that in your own life and realize um, you know it's a cliche and it's a cliche because it's true that money doesn't buy happiness and that um, even though we, we think that the most well-paying job is the one we should go for. Uh, a lot of, there are a lot of other factors that are, I'm not saying money's not important, but that shouldn't be the only factor that you look at. How many have heard of the story Leaf by Niggle by J.R.? Oh, see, I was oh, right. Look wow. at that. Boom. Oh, you made my like, heart happy. <laughs> we don't really have time to go into it, but no. Um, uh, Leaf by Nickel. Yeah, J.R. Tolkien. That was how many people raised their hands again? One, two, three, Wait, four. said this was a quality group. Yeah. Wait, Clark, you've heard of it? Oh, yeah, you raised your hand. All right. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, right. yep, amen. Yeah. Awesome. Well, one of the things, uh, it's a 10-page short story about uh, a painter who... Um, gets like obsessed with trying, he, he tries to paint a tree, but he gets so fascinated on these individual leaves, and um, he never actually finishes his his work, and he's got this journey that it's called going, uh, which is an um, analogy for death, and so eventually death takes him, uh, and he's so frustrated because it's, oh, I didn't complete it, all I had was like a couple of leaves that were really well done, and he gets to heaven and he realizes actually uh, the whole tree is there and finished, and and actually, he's, he's brought into doing more of, of the work and painting and doing more of these things. And that was one of the things. Uh, success, you know, in this life, you are going to probably do things that uh, may seem menial and people will probably forget. Uh, and, and yet, doing them in the name of, of God, in, in the true and ultimate reality of heaven, that work will never, will never be... Um, thrown by the wayside, and that it will actually continue. That's one of the things. Man, we really don't have time to go into it, but like you, you know, should read Leaf we by should, We should read it's that. Really good. And there also is a great essay by Dorothy Sayers about work. Um, if you sign up for the email list, we'll send you links to these things, um, so you can go deeper. We also have a few resources that once we stop, you can come up and check them out. We've got a few books and the uh, two stories, but it's time to go ahead into the Q and A. Uh, Colton, do we even have a question? I hope. We do. Yeah. Uh, so the first question that we're going to start with is, how do I recognize the particular vocation God has called me to? Yep. Knew that was coming. <laughs> so we've kind of addressed that a little bit. To reiterate, what I would say is, first, look at where you are. Uh, because in some sense, you are called to bring flourishing right where you are. But secondly, um, who was it? Frederick Buechner, is that how you pronounce the guy's name? Yes, where, um, where your passion and the world's needs meet is where God may be calling you. So where your passions are, and I would add also maybe what God has 
gifted you in, both talents and passions maybe, but like the things that you're good at and where the world's needs actually meet um, would be a good place to go. And I, I think because so many people look to their job now to, to be this magic bullet of meaning, uh, unfortunately they think that it's going to do something it just can't do. So uh, in, some, in some ways I just want to give an asterisk and say like doing those things is great, but um, when you try to put all of your weight into that, um, that's where you're probably going to be left wanting, what, trying to find a calling that's going to make you who you really are. Yeah. God calls you who you are. So yeah, and I, I think I would agree with all of that. I think that some practical things also you can do is talk to people who know you well and ask them to just tell you honestly what they think you would be really good at, assuming no constraints. What, what would you be really good at. Um, also, things like Myers-Briggs inventories can be good, uh, helpful information um, and going on that. And prayer and worship are huge in that because I think God does speak to you through prayer and worship and through his word. So I think that's part of it as well. What advice would you have for someone looking to get into ministry? Well, that's another great question. Um, I would say if God wants you in ministry, he will make it happen, um, even if it is a very circuitous route. Um, I'm a very good example of that. I started being a piano performance major and then ended up going to law school and did intellectual property law for 15 years and then ran a bed and breakfast and then got called into ministry. Um, but and. A lot of people's stories are like that, but I think a more, a more normal way of exploring ministry would be to talk to some people you know who are in ministry to try to find some ways to volunteer or get an internship or um, get really involved at a significant level with a ministry that's sort of like what you think you might be called to and sort of see what happens. Um, I think those are good first steps um, along with really leaning into your devotional life. Yeah, those are good things. Um, it reminds me of uh, you know finding your calling, whether it be ministry or otherwise. What you are passionate about, what you actually do, even if you weren't paid, uh, that's probably a good clue as to what maybe the Lord is calling you to do. I remember when I was starting out, and so, so to answer that question specifically, uh, I would encourage you to start doing ministry if you're not, but, but to really lean into it and invite other um, ministers around you because that, that's one of the helpful things is um, calling is something that can be discerned in community. And so you really do need others who are watching you do that and can either have the courage to say, actually, I don't know if God's calling you to do that, or to really affirm, yeah, this is actually a good thing that you're doing. Um, as for ministry in particular, I won't ever forget the advice I was given. If you could do anything else, do that. Um, and I think there may be some wisdom to it. You know, I was, I believe that. Um, I actually felt like I, if I were doing anything else, I would still want to be doing ministry in some capacity besides that. So um, I found it actually a helpful bit of advice. As, but if that's something that's on your heart, um, Justin or I would be more than happy to talk to you at some point about that. How do I reconcile career investment and career investment and calling with a and calling with a distinct calling to be a loving and a calling with a distinct calling to be a loving wife and hands on mother? Yeah, so one of, one of the things is that with all my personal experience and being a loving mother, um, I, I, I would say, first of all, it's a great question because it recognizes that we have numerous callings in life. Um, and so if I'm hearing the question right, see, how, how do I manage um, being a call to being a mother, but also being called to uh, my career? And I, I think... Um, you know, in some of these, it, it really depends on, on the career, I think, but uh, praying about it, um, being aware of it, and then also uh, 
communicating, I think, with your, uh, I don't know how old the children would be, but if they're old enough to know, one of the things that I, um, doing ministry, I'm often out of the house so several nights of the week and trying to check in with my own children and just seeing how they're doing. Um, we know when we're not connecting and when they need extra attention. And so um, oftentimes doing spontaneous things, but often um, strategic things, uh, scheduled times away with, with my children is, is really important. Um, but with that said, I think that if I was a great minister and a terrible father, I don't know, I, I feel like there is some um, you would have missed primacy. I would have missed yes. the mark in some way. There's a primacy in being called. So that not all callings are equal in some ways. And I do feel like God's placed you first and foremost as a spouse, as a uh, as a parent, um, and then beneath that would be would be your uh, vocation, I guess, yes. for ministry or whatnot. Would you agree with that? Yes. And I would say, you know, another thing that can be helpful with that is to find people that you admire that seem to be handling that sort of dual calling uh, in a way that is life-giving for them and their family, and then just following them around and figuring out how they do it. And one thing I would add to that, too, is to not buy into the cultural assumption that is around a lot and is actually spoken a lot today, um, that it is unworthy to devote your life to being a mother and um, that you're somehow less than if that's what your principal calling is. Um, that is antithetical to the Christian understanding of the privilege of bringing new life into the world. Um, and that you know, it used to be considered that that was one of the highest callings that there was. So I think balancing that um, is important. Absolutely. That's, that's certainly um, something that probably needs to be said today. I would, I would say also that um, having, uh, my wife is a, is a teacher as well, and um, her primary calling is being with our children, uh, but also made to do work. I've been in certain Christian circles where it's, uh, there's this only way to do is if the, the husband is working and the mother's not working. Well, first of all, if you're home, that is a vocation. Right. That is work. It is Believe it or not, uh, if you talk to anyone that does that, it is work. Um, but but there's something outside that, particularly my wife, has to um, to go do for our larger community. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we might have to slow the drinks down <laughs> wow. before the session next time. Um, how do I talk about my faith at work in a world that is increasingly hostile towards Christians? That is a great question. So I think part of the answer to that is to be someone who is about building relationship and who is about caring for the people that are in your workplace, um, listening to them, all of those kinds of things, and that when you do that um, effectively, then you have a platform to talk about what's meaningful to you. I think one of the most damaging things you can do is when you don't have any relationship, is to like corner people in the hall and be like, do you know Jesus? You know, that, that is not effective. Um, and it's not what Jesus did. Well, when you look at the way Jesus ministered to people, he asked questions, he got to know people. Um, and so I think that that is important. I do think there also are some things that you can do that invite conversation. Um, having a Bible lying around in your office is not a bad thing. Um, having Lewis or Tolkien books in your office is not a bad thing. Um, there, there are little things you can do that sort of give off maybe a little clue to people um, that opens the door a little bit to that kind of conversation. So what would you say to that? I mean, um that's kind of one of the reasons we started doing this, actually, was uh, I think, by and large, people are interested in talking about substantial things. And so um, I wouldn't feel scared to bring up, you know, asking good questions about why is it that you do what you do? Um, I, I think most people, Christians included, don't really have a, a good answer for some of that. Um, 
and to recognize that everybody is um, living by faith in some capacity. I, I, I think there's no way you can prove uh, anything. And so while it is becoming less and less, um, I, I guess, common to, or it's probably being more and more hostile, I think is the way the question was word, and being a Christian in that place, um, there is still the reality that everybody lives by faith in something. And to be able to, like, as you said, begin a relationship and start asking questions, when in doubt, ask questions, I think, and just get to know who people are and what makes them tick and why they, why they think the way they do, why they um, believe the things that they do would be, and doing that in a way, I think nine-tenths of the battle is just, A, being as a Christian who's not over, like, weird, don't be a weird Christian. That's general advice. But also, <laughs> I think, um, you, know what I, you know what I mean when I say that. Yes. So obviously, that's true. Yes. But, um, so, don't be, don't be weird. And then, <laughs> well, the other thing I would say is when you're asking questions, the kind of questions you ask should be ones that are inviting the person to tell you about themselves rather than things like, why do you get wasted every weekend? You know, those, those, that is not a helpful kind of question. Yeah, so, but more like, tell me about yourself, tell me about your family, tell me about the greatest vacation you ever went on, tell me about your favorite book. You know, those kinds of things are a much better way to get out. That's a helpful qualifier. I remember what I was gonna say. It was, uh, I think nine-tenths of the battle is actually showing people that Christians, um, kind of defeating the stereotype of what a Christian yeah. is, yeah. and just showing that Christians can actually be thoughtful. They can actually read other things and be in uncomfortable spaces and still care about people. That is the sort of thing that goes a long way um, and does so much more good, I think, than cornering the person, as you said, and giving them the force of your tool. Yes, and so. yes. Do you think critical race theory should be a part of gen, gen ed requirements? about that? We finally got a question that's not about the topic. I'm so yes. glad about this, actually. Um, I think that is a terrific question. Um, I'm not so sure about general ed requirements. I think one of the things with critical race theory is that you have to be very careful about your definitions, about what you're talking about, because critical race theory shows up in so many different places um, and people don't define what they're talking about. But I do think that there, any kind of theory, emphasis on theory, um, is something that Christians would say should be talked about and discussed and evaluated for its pros and its cons, um, rather than completely shutting down discussion of it. But I also think that any time that something that's a theory is taught as this is the only way to think about something, that that is problematic. And there are, there are aspects of certain versions of critical race theory that I think are very problematic um, for Christians to embrace. Uh, so you want to yeah. weigh in on that? Well, I, I think this is a, um, being on a college campus and seeing folks who are college students, I, I think the, um, Sorry, that's like, I'm echoing in my own head here. You got that. Um, having, what, what colleges used to be 10, even 10 years ago, the place of any ideas being open, open, ideas. Yeah, openly yeah. discussed. I, so I would absolutely encourage anything like that being discussed. But as you alluded to, I think what's being becoming is where you are forced to believe a certain thing as opposed to, I think we should be able to talk about anything that, that's on there. Um, and try to weigh different arguments about it. So I think that's one of the um, unfortunate things that's happened across college campuses in the last five years is that this is now, uh, this is what you must believe, which is a very radical new thing, not just critical race theory, but a number of things that are being taught. This is what you must believe as opposed to let's weigh and, and evaluate. Free and important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good question. I'm considering, I'm considering the, to be, I'm considering becoming a rapper slash producer. What advice would you have for me? <laughs> um, get up here right now. Can you 
I, I am probably not the most well-informed person about that possibility. Um, that may be shocking uh, to you. But again, I think regardless really of what, what fill-in-the-blank rapper, producer, lawyer, singer, artist, whatever, um, I think a lot of the, the ideas would be the same, that you want to, if you believe that that's the direction that God is leading you in, then you want to uh, find people who are good at that, who are good examples, preferably people who are believers that are in that field, and then to um, seek their counsel about how you want to pursue that. So actually, when I was in seminary, I went to a predominantly Presbyterian seminary, and we had um, a concert actually by a guy who was a lyrical, uh, he wrote a, a, um, an album called Lyrical Theology, and so it was just for like an hour in this very Presbyterian place, just rapping about the glory of God according to the scriptures, and it was all like biblical theology, it was amazing. So I think like uh, allowing, you know, what are, what are the things that, capture your heart and affections. What are the, the not only the lyrics, but, um, I mean, that's a, a major part of it, but the um, the quality, as you said, like the, the quality of music, but also surrounding yourself with um, with other people who are actually in that field, who are doing the very same thing. There's actually, believe it or not, there's plenty of them out there who are trying to be Christians in that, in that realm, so, yeah. <clears throat> Is it worth staying in a miserable job if it's an opportunity to witness? Wow, that's a very difficult question. Um, that's one that I think it is really important to um, pray into and to pray into with community, um, to have other people that you are sharing with and talking about that um, with, because there are, sometimes there are places where you're in a place where there is no um, gospel witness at all and you're the only person that's in there and maybe God's calling you to that um, most of the time though my sense is that God does not call people usually to be miserable in their work um, it sort of depends on how you define miserable I guess um, I think God does sometimes call people into suffering um, but I, I think that that is something where normally I would say God wants you to be flourishing in your work. Um, so that's something that you would really need to think and pray into. And if that's, if that's the only reason that you're there, unless you feel like God has called you specifically to that, um, I would say maybe good to make a change. There could be a number of things that make work miserable. Um, you, you could be trying to fit a square peg in a round hole just with your personality, with what God's called you to. Uh, it could be miserable for any other, other reasons that you yourself, if you just start um, approaching it in a certain way that um, making the most of it or really embracing this, this opportunity. Um, but it almost reminds me of a question of, uh, you know, is God calling me to this relationship almost? If it's going to be, if I can witness to the person, I would say absolutely not. Probably, probably no, as you said. The, yeah. um, uh, it would be the exception to the rule. But it, I would want to ask a follow-up about what makes it miserable for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What should I do if I feel discouraged about reading the Bible because of some confusing things in the Old Testament? That is a really great question. Um, and that is an honest question. I think a lot of people deal with that. Um, if that is something you are dealing with, I would really encourage you, um, even if it's not Justin or me, but to talk to somebody who knows more about the Bible than you do, who can help um, walk you through some of that. Um, there are a lot of things in the Bible that are confusing, but most of them, uh, when you speak with someone who actually knows more, um, they can get you um, to understand a broader context that helps make makes things fall into place. So yeah, yeah, it's actually welcome to the club in a ways. Like uh, as you said, there are certain things that studying the Bible and and learning what people who have wrestled with these same things for hundreds of years. Uh, they've come up with pretty good answers, actually. And so uh, one of the things that I always take away that's encouraging, however, is if the Bible was just what I thought it should be, 
then God would be no different than who I am. And I actually take encouragement that there's places in the Bible that I don't understand and I don't like. Yeah. And that actually means that there is a relationship with somebody other than myself when I read the Bible. And so, I, I, as Brian said, I'd encourage you to find somebody else um, who, who does know maybe a bit more about it. Um, there are people, thank goodness, for 20 centuries who've been wrestling probably with the same thing that you're wrestling with in the Bible. Yeah. So. Well, it's 15 minutes. We can probably go another 5, 10 minutes. I don't know. What do you think? Stop it soon. So let's go another, at least another 5. Okay. Yeah, we can go another 5. So, so two questions, kind of um, different sides of the same coin. Is it okay to pursue your passion if monetarily you will struggle to support your family? And then the second one... How do I ensure I'm pursuing a vocation for God um, when there's a strong temptation to focus on money? So money being the, the underlying thing, both of those. Um, I think recognizing that God doesn't call us to live a certain quality of uh, lifestyle, maybe, especially if you know, living here in Charleston where the lifestyle is so uh, expensive, um, recognizing that that, again, is something that I, I don't want to be flippant about, but, but engaging other people in your discernment about, is this something that God's actually calling me to do? I would want to have at least a number of voices if it meant that I was going to significantly, uh, possibly not even provide. But the Bible does say that we ought to provide for our family, but I think that we have a certain, in our heads, what that actually looks like. Um, some of us being providing for our family means we make at least six figures. I don't know. Um, but I think that it, it may mean sacrificing a certain quality of life on the one hand. Um, but I think that it, it's something that's best understood in community. And so I, I hate that we keep going back to that. But it really is a almost a case-by-case -case thing. You wouldn't want to just give blanket advice and then go out and then do something like this. But... Um, yeah, what would you say? And, and money being, we haven't really talked about, I mean, like money being the, um, it's a factor, but it's really not the most significant factor yeah, by it's any not, it's not the yardstick. And I would say another major part of it is if you really believe that this is a God-given passion or a God-given direction that you have been called to go in, and you're not sure about how the finances are going to work, um, but you are confident and you've been through community and discernment and all that, I would say that it may be that God is calling you to trust him to provide for you in that circumstance. And um, I won't go into this whole story, but when I was working as a lawyer, I was making a very nice six-figure salary, but really felt God was calling us to leave that and come here and start a business that we knew absolutely nothing about. And we had three children, and I had health plans and all of that. And I was abandoning all of that for a business I knew nothing about and taking out a big loan um, to start it. And so, um, yeah, my parents, who are wonderful, godly people, supported me in that, but they asked a lot of hard questions, which was appropriate. But, you know, God met our every need more than we could ever have asked or imagined, and it prospered. So I think you just have to, sometimes you have to be willing to step out in faith on that. And some of you might remember the first one of these that we met, I talked a little bit about a woman I met who was selling shrimp on Shem Creek, um, who was just amazing at this little booth at the seafood company, and so great. And so I was talking to her, and I was like, how did you get into this? And she said she used to be the manager of a famous restaurant on East Bay Street where she was making a six-figure salary, and she was working 90 hours a week. And she said, I was miserable, and I realized what I really love is the low country shrimp boats, the fact that you can catch shrimp that are on the table that night, and I really wanted to get involved in that. And so she quit her job and took about an 80% salary cut but she said she was so much happier. She moved to a different apartment. Um, and she said she just had joy in her life like she had never experienced before. And her family and her children were fine. Um, I don't know how she 
managed it all, but um, she felt like it was what God had called her to do. It's, it's hard not to overstate how entrenched we are as a society in valuing our work based on how much money we make. And what is so antithetical to that is the way God values all work in itself equally. And, uh, but I don't think we can overstate that enough. One more? Yeah, one more. So the last one, and it's, um, it's kind of a nice takeaway for the, the evening. What would be a good prayer in the morning before work for God's blessing uh, slash favor? And what about a quick prayer during work when stressed? That's a great question. Um, there are there are a lot of uh, prayers in the uh, Anglican prayer book for these kinds of things um, that we can share on the email list. But just in terms of praying extemporaneously on your own, I think it's great to pray that you would glorify God um, in whatever you're doing, um, that you would live out the great commandment to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself uh, as you go through the workday, and to pray that you would be able to work um, with all your heart as for the Lord. Um, and then I think that in those times where you're feeling stressed during the day, there's a really ancient prayer um, that's used in a lot of contemplative traditions that I find to be really great in moments of stress. And it's just a really simple prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that is a great prayer to pray when you are in the midst of stress because it takes the focus off of the situation and puts your focus back on yourself and asking God to have mercy on you in your situation. My mind went to the St. Francis of Assisi yes, prayer that's where awesome. make me an instrument of your peace. And it really, uh, that's a prayer that I go to in any situation, um, in the workplace or not, trying to um, be an instrument of God's in, in, in wherever I am. Um, yeah, I, I would, part of me wants to go and find some and then post them, which led me to realize that um, in the off weeks of what we're going to do, we were going to record, there's so many good questions probably, I can't wait to look at some of these, especially the ones about Colton. Um, <laughs> this is going to be fun. There's some about you too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, but we're going to be able to actually address some of the questions in the off weeks. Uh, if you cool cats are on Facebook, <laughs> otherwise we could just post them on email. Right. Like yeah, we're gonna we're thinking about trying to do a little video um, to address some of the ones we don't get. But that would be a good way to go back and look at the at the various prayers. But the Saint Francis of Assisi prayer is really good. <laughs> so, what's the next one of these we're doing? I'm excited about the next one because uh, we're gonna talk about rest, which is one of the things along with work. We do this because God does it. And uh, what does it mean to rest? Because I don't think we actually work well or rest well. And so in two weeks, we'll be back here talking about what does it mean to stop and to rest. And it should be fun. It should be. It'll be great. So thank you all so much for being here. Feel free to hang out, um, order more drinks, eat the rest of the appetizers. Yes. Uh, and if you have any questions or anything, we'll be around and uh, happy to chat. So thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you.